0: Amen. Thank you so much. What great work God did in our hearts. When he saved us by his grace. Amen. How many of you brought your Bible tonight? Will you hold up the word of God all over the building tonight? I want to ask you to take your Bible down and join me in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1 tonight. And I want to read some verses here. And I'll ask you to leave your Bibles open and just follow me along here for just a minute. 1 Samuel chapter number 1. I have an old Scofield Bible. If you have one, that's page number 319 or 1 Samuel chapter number 1. And again, I want to remind you now, this service on Wednesday night, you're invited to come back again. I I think we've been away for so long. You know they say you never miss the water till the well run dries. Is that what the old saying is? And sometimes I think we take for granted just the privilege and the honor of being able to come to church. And when you have to go without a little while, it really makes you appreciate what you've got. And uh, so I want to encourage you to be back on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for the service. And we're looking forward to having a good time together in God's house. Alright? right. First Samuel chapter number 1. If you're there, would you say amen? Alright, I want you to look now at verse number 1. And the Bible tells us that there was a man whose name was Elkanah. You see that right in the middle of verse 1. His name was Elkanah. He was of Mount Ephraim. And the Bible jumps down to verse number 2, and he said, this man, Elkanah, he had two wives. Two wives. Now I'll tell you, already right off the bat, we, we're not doing good here. He's got two wives. Somebody said, where does it say in the Bible that man can only have one wife? Well, the Bible says this. No man can serve two masters. So, so he's already in trouble now because the Bible said he had two wives. The name, according to verse 2, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other one was Peninnah. And Peninnah, she had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man, this man Elkanah and his wives, went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And two sons of Eli. Now, Eli was like the head preacher. He was the head prophet in the land of Israel at this particular time. He had two sons, Eli did Hophni and Phineas, the priest of They were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Peninnah, his wife, and to her sons and to her daughters portions. But unto Hannah, verse 5, says he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sword. I think that's speaking of Peninnah, the other wife. She provoked her sword, for to make her fret, Because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. Peninnah provoked Hannah. Therefore she wept and did not E. All right. Now, that's all I'm going to read, but I'm going to ask you to leave your Bibles open to this text tonight. I've got three or four things I'd like to say about this tonight. I'm preaching a message tonight on the subject of Samuel's story. Samuel's story, and oddly enough, it begins before there was a Samuel. So let's look at this text tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be in church. Thank you for the music and the singing and the privilege to be able to sing together as God's people in this place. Thank you for letting us meet together. And now I pray that you'd bless your word, speak to our hearts. And I want to do my best, Lord, just to deliver my heart tonight. Lord, I just want to preach what's on my heart. I pray you'd help us as we listen. God, may we listen intently, and may the seed of God's word fall on good soil in our heart and produce fruit unto life everlasting. God, use this text to help us and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, somebody has once said that everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, leadership, as we know, is very, very important. We have certainly seen the value of leadership in recent days if we, as we have dealt with this COVID-19 crisis. I, along with many of you, in fact, probably most of us in here have really tried to pray for our leaders during this very, very difficult time. But in the Word of God, we're shown over and over again the value of the right kind of leadership. For instance, we're shown throughout the Old Testament how that the nation of Israel, how they prospered and how God blessed them and protected them when they had the right of leadership, When I think about that, I think about old King Hezekiah. And when Sennacherib and the king of Assyria and, and the armies in, uh, of, of Assyria came and came against the city of Jerusalem, because of the godly leadership of godly King Hezekiah, God preserved uh, the land of Judah and Jerusalem. In fact, God killed old Sennacherib. God killed him and Rab Rabshakeh. God killed the whole outfit. In fact, God sent an angel down in one night and killed 185,000 soldiers of the Syrian army simply because Judah and Jerusalem had godly leadership at that time. That's the value of the right kind of leadership. Then of course we're shown throughout the Old Testament the value of the wrong kind of leadership as well. But I'll tell you what, we see the disasters that Israel suffered and the defeats that they suffered because they had the, the wrong kind of leadership. The northern kingdom of Israel never had not one good king. And buddy, because of that, they suffered. They struggled. They were defeated constantly until finally God just said, I'm done with y'all and allowed the uh, the Syrians to come down and to carry them off into captivity. The wrong kind of leadership. Well, Samuel, this man by the name of Samuel, this book that we're in was certainly the right kind of a leader for the nation of Israel. Let me tell you a little bit about Samuel. First of all, he was the last judge that ruled and reigned over the nation of Israel. Judges were the leader of the nation of Israel from the time of the deaths of Moses and Joshua up until the time that Israel got her kings. And out of all those judges, there are 14 of those judges, and out of all those judges without doubt, hands down, the best judge that Israel had was this man by the name of Samuel. He was the most godly leader of all the judges who led the nation of Israel. Samuel had the unfortunate experience of being the prophet or the judge of transition. You see, under Samuel's leadership as the judge, the nation of Israel would go from being a theocracy to being a monarchy. In other words, the nation would go, they would move from being a leadership, the direct leadership of God Almighty, under the direct leadership of the kings. Samuel was the judge and the prophet of this kind of transition. But as I said a moment ago, oddly enough, his story starts before there was a Samuel. This great leader, this godly leader that I'm talking about, his story actually begins with the struggles of a lady who would become the mother of Samuel. Now, we're introduced to her in the opening verses of this great book. Her name was Hannah, and the name Hannah means grace or it means favor. And it reminds us that if we're ever going to experience the favor of God, we must first of all experience the grace of God. You. Never know the blessings of God apart from experiencing the grace of God. And most of the time, I get it. Most of the time, when we hear preaching from the book of 1 Samuel, especially in chapter 1, it's always associated with Mother's Day. Now, of course, we just come through Mother's Day, what was it, two weeks ago. And I guarantee you there were multitudes of preachers across America, across the world, who drew their text for their Mother's Day message from Life of Hannah. And by the way, rightly so, because Hannah is a great example of motherhood. Boy, what a great mother that that Hannah was. But you and I know in this text, there's more here than just meets the eye. Now, probably you're sitting there tonight and saying, Preacher, here we are right in the middle of a pandemic. It's thundering and lightning outside, the rain's pouring down. I mean, preacher, what in the world could the story of Hannah have to do with us who are sitting here in this building tonight? Well, I just want to say there are some great truths to the opening verses of Samuel's story and they're not just good for Mother's Day and they're not just good for Mama's, but they're good for Daddy's, they're good for everybody, and they're good for every day. Now, let me say, let's say this when we we first, run into Samuel's mama when we first meet her. She is a woman who is in great distress, she is a woman who has a great problem. I wonder tonight who is sitting in this room and you're at a point in your life when you're in a great distress. Maybe you're facing a great problem in your life. Well, I want to take some time from this, from the opening verses of this text tonight and I want to talk a little bit about this woman by the name of Samuel who was the mother who actually gave us the story of Samuel. First of all, I want to make some comparison between her days and the days that we're living in today. Will you you bear with me for just a moment? I want to talk about how her days resemble these days that we're living in. First of all, let me say this. Number one, Hannah's country, her country was in the mire. That's right. Hannah's country was in the mire. Now, if you look at verse 1 and the very first word of verse number 1, it's the word now. And it is a connecting word. In other words, we're, we're connected back to the book of judges because the story of Hannah and the story of Samuel finds its roots in the soil of the book of judges and the one thing that we know about the days when the judges ruled is that they were days that were marked by great debauchery and great wickedness you know for the most part the country of Israel in Hannah's day had just become one big gigantic moral cesspool because here's what we're told about the days when the judges ruled. In Judges 21 and verse number 25, the Bible said there was no king in Israel and the word of God said every man did that which was right in, in his own eyes. Now let me stop and say that anytime you leave sinful humanity to do that which is right in their own eyes, not God's own eyes, but in their own eyes I'm here to tell you the end result is never ever going to be good. You see we can't follow our Somebody said, man, I just want to follow my heart. Or somebody says this, if I know my heart. But can I tell you something about your heart? And can I tell you something about my heart? The Bible said our hearts are deceitful above all things and they're desperately wicked. Don't ever follow your heart. Follow the Bible. Follow the Holy Spirit. Follow the leadership of God. But don't follow your heart because I'm here to tell you our hearts, ladies and gentlemen, are full of depravity. When man sets aside the laws of God and pursues that which is right in his own sight, the end result will always be chaos and corruption and confusion. And if you really want to know how morally corrupt it was in Hannah's day, let me tell you one story. We find a story back at the end of the book of Judges that goes something like this. There was a man and his concubine and they were on their way from a foreign land back to the man's hometown. The Bible said that they stopped by. You read the story in the book of Judges, chapter 19 and chapter 20. As they were journeying from one place back to their hometown, they, uh, they spent the night in a city of Benjamin. And while they were there, a man took the men and allowed them to spend the night in his house. And the Word of God said that before they could lay down that night, a bunch of sodomites a bunch of homosexuals come past the house about. And they said, hey, to the guy that lived there, said, hey, bring that man out that we may know him. Now, they just didn't want to get to know him by way of conversation. That word carries with it an idea of immoral sexual activity. In other words, they said, bring that guy out. We would like to have a sexual relationship with that man. Now, by the way, we're talking about the nation of Israel, for crying out loud. I mean, we're talking about supposedly God's people, for crying out loud, and that kind of garbage is going on inside of Hannah's country in the days when Hannah was alive. And of course, we know what happened. That man didn't come out, but he took his concubine. He took her and he brought her out to that bunch of sodomites. And the Bible said that they abused her all night long. They assaulted her sexually. They raped her all night long. And the next morning when the man got up to get his wife, his concubine, and to go on their way, she was falling down dead with her fingers at the doorstep of the man's house. You know what that man did or husband did? He took her body and he cut it up into 12 pieces. And he sent it to the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And he said, okay, this is what's happened. What are we going to do about it? And the Bible said there was a civil war that took place in the land of Israel. And one tribe, the tribe of Benjamin, almost was completely obliterated because of that civil war that took place over the rape of that when the homosexuals can pass the house roundabout. Now look at me, let me tell you something. That's a moral cesspool, buddy. Hey, I'm telling you something, ain't nothing right about something like that. That's wickedness to the highest degree. That's ungodliness beyond ungodliness. But aren't you glad that in the midst of a moral cesspool that society was in back in those days, there were some people that had made up their mind. They were, going not, they were not going to go that way. They were not going to, they were not going to follow the trends of the society that day, they made up their mind they were going to march to the beat of a different drum. I think about that man by the name of Boaz back in the book of Ruth. What a man Boaz was. And then I think about Hannah here in our text. I mean, they refused that way of lifestyle. They refused to live like that. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you and I are living in days similar to those days. Like it or not, for the most part, our country is in the mire. We're living in a country today that just a generation or two ago would not even recognize. We're embracing things today that are totally against the law and the word of God. And we're doing it with such brazenness and such audacity. Ladies and gentlemen, no wonder we got COVID-19. No wonder we got things like coronavirus. Because we're embracing that. We're tolerating that. We're putting our approval upon that. Which God said is abominable and wicked friend in the sight of God. Hey, but I'm glad just like it was in Hannah's day. Though the country may be up to his knees in the mire, thank God there's some people that's made up their mind they're not going that way. Thank God there's still a remnant alive in this world today in this nation that still believes God. There's still a crowd that still honors the Bible. There's still a crowd that loves the house of God. There's still a crowd that loves the word of God. There's still a crowd that loves the people of God. There's still a crowd that loves the work of God. And there's still a crowd that loves the Son of God. And I want you to know I'm glad to be identified with that crowd. I'm not going that way. I'm not going to put my approval upon that which God says, and he is disapproved. Hey, i want to walk with God in the midst of a country that's up to its knees in the mire. I still want to love the Son of God, and I still want to do that which is right in the sight of the Lord. Her country was in the mire. But can I say number two, not only was her country in the mire, But her church was in a mess. Her church was in a mess. Now, when we first meet her, look again at our text. But when we first meet Hannah, we find out that she's a woman. She's a person who loves and honors the house of God. We find there in verse number 3 that Elkanah, along with Hannah and his other wife, they would make trips... Routine trips to the tabernacle that had been set up in Shiloh. They went there because they honored and they loved the house of God that tabernacle this one that we're talking about here this meeting place according to verse number three uh that place that's that old testament tabernacle when Israel moved into the land of Canaan they placed it you know they it was like portable it was like one they just carried around with them while they wandered in the wilderness that's the kind of church a whole lot of people need in our day kind of they just put in their trunk and carry with them you're welcome That's right. That's the kind of church a lot of people need. One they just pick up and carry around because they're not going to be faithful. Now, I'm not talking about y'all. But there's a crowd, man. They're not going to be faithful to the house of God. But when they moved into the land of Canaan, he kind of pitched it permanently in the land, in a place called Shiloh. And the Bible said that Hannah would go up routinely to the house of God. She would make a trip to the house of God. Let me just say this, Hannah's life was in a mess. Hannah's life was full of problems. And going to church was the place that she could find some relief. Going to church was the place she could walk into and have a little peace. Going to church was the place where she could exhale. Going to church was a place she could get close to God. Going to church was a place she could meet with God. Going to church was a place where she could get some help from God. And by the way, Thank God for the church. Aren't you glad you got a little place you can come to every once in a while and just breathe out? Aren't you glad you got a place you can come to every once in a while and find a little bit of peace? Aren't you glad you got a place you can come to and meet with God and fellowship with God and bring our burdens and our problems to the Lord and get some salve for the bruises and the cuts of life? And there Hannah would go. She would go up to the house of God but i gonna tell you something boy her church was in a mess the reason I say that if you look again that verse number three we find that Eli who was the pastor of the church the overseer of that church had two boys Hophni and Phinehas they were there when Hannah went there now we know about these boys Can I tell you something about these boys? You talk about wickedness personified. These boys, I mean, were full of wickedness right there in the house of God. I mean, the Bible said over the next chapter that when people would come and bring their offerings to the Lord, those boys would threaten them and they would take the best offering for themselves and leave whatever for the Lord to have. I mean, you talk about they they were threatening God's people when they come up to the house of God. They use the services of the house of God to benefit their own selves. And if that isn't bad enough, I mean threatening God's people, I mean taking God's offerings, if that's not bad enough, we're told in the next chapter that these boys would lay with women right at the very door of the house of God. Now, can I say this? It would be horrible. It'd be bad enough if we come to church and somebody held us up in the parking lot and took God's tithe and offering away from us as we was trying to get into the house of God and bring it to the Lord. That'd be bad enough. (laughs) You didn't bring yours, did you? I mean, that'd be bad enough. But what if you had to walk in the doors and you had to step over somebody that sprawled out there doing God knows what right in the very doors of the house of God. You talk about her country was in the mire, but you talk about her church, her church was in a mess. In fact, we're told over in chapter 2 that people actually got to the point that they despised, they abhorred given an offering to the Lord, and they detested even going up to the house of God because of what was going on inside. In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, the Bible said this that men abhorred, they hated, they detested the offering of the Lord. And then down in verse 24 of that same chapter, the Bible said that the sins of these boys were leading others into sin as well. Now, can I say this for her church? I mean, this is a place where she's trying to go to breathe out, to get some help, to find a little peace, to get along with God, to slip up close to the Lord. I mean, with all that going on, can you just imagine trying to go to church in those days? But can I say this? In spite of all that wickedness that was going on in Hannah's church, can I say this? Man, she didn't use that as an excuse to quit going to the house of God, I'll tell you I get it. I'm not saying, man, let's let anything go on in church. Let's don't do that. Let's judge things. Let's keep things right. Let's deal with things that we got to deal with. But listen, man, just because these are bad days and people are corrupting themselves, the country's gone crazy, and many of God's people have gone crazy and are doing things and dragging stuff into the house of God that ought not to be drug into the house of God. I'm not about that. To, I'm not about to let that be an excuse. For me, not getting close to God, not getting alone with God, and not getting the help from God that I need. If Hannah could do it in her day, if she could get a hold of God and pray down a miracle in such going old as that, how much more can you and I get what we need from God even though the wickedness and the ungodliness is going on in this world and many times in the house of God. Amen. Her country was in the mire. Her church was in a mess. But can I say this thirdly? Hannah's childlessness was a mystery. I mean, it had to be a mystery. You see, for some reason, she was married to Elkanah. And for some reason, we're told two times in this text, the Lord shut up her womb. Now, I got to tell you something. I mean, if I'm the Lord, and I'm not, and thank God I'm not, because it'd be snowing at your house a whole lot if I don't like you. But can I? In July, it would be a frost to kill your corn patch. But if I was the Lord, and I was going to choose between Paninna, who is not shown in a very good light, I mean, she is actually shown to have very poor character. If I had to choose between Paninna, and Hannah, which one I was going to bless with children, if I'm the Lord, there's no choice to be made. I'm going to give them to Hannah. I'm not about to give her to this old girl over here that ain't got no character and shows a great disrespect and a a whole lot of uh, poor jobs. I'm not about to give, but if I'm going to give one of these people a child, I'm going to give it to Hannah. But in our text, I mean month after month, year after year, Hannah, the womb, for some biological reason, the Lord has closed up her womb and would not allow her to have a child. And at the same time, Peninnah has had at least four children. And I say that for this reason. The Bible says she had sons, plural. She had daughters, plural. So I'm doing, I'm not evangelistically clowning here. I'm saying at least she had to have two boys and two girls if it's in the plural. So a low score would be this, Penina four, Hannah nothing. She's getting shut out here. And you got to understand back in those days for a woman to be barren was a a great burden for that woman to have to bear because barrenness for a woman was looked upon as a sign of the judgment of God upon that lady. Some kind of a punishment from God for some kind of sin in her life. It meant that when people looked at her they thought God was angry with her. Every woman in the Old Testament there was no such thing as abortions. (laughs) Thank God for that. There was no such thing as unwanted children in Hannah's day. Every Jewish woman wanted children, and especially male children, because it was prophesied that the Messiah would be born of a woman, and who knows, that woman may be the bearer of the Messiah himself. So here's Hannah, and she sees all this happening to Peninnah. She sees her with at least four children, probably more, And every month and every year, Hannah is batting zero. Now, you've got to understand, man, this is a mystery to her. I love the Lord. I want to honor God. I go to church. I try to do what's right. I try to keep a good attitude. I try to love my husband. I tolerate his other wife. I mean, I'm trying to do my best. And why is it that somebody of poor character has children And I have none. I mean, can you just not imagine the struggles, the questions? Why, Lord? Why me? Lord, what's wrong with me? God, why are you angry with me? Why are you upset? Why won't you give me a child? Ever ask any of them why questions before? Why did my loved one have to die so early? Why do I wrestle with this disease? Why can't I get a little bit ahead financially? Why do I struggle so much? Why did my spouse walk out on me? Why have my kids turned out like this? Why, why, why? Why can't I overcome this? Why do I have to battle? Why do I struggle? All of us at some point or another in our lives have asked the why questions. Let's just be honest. Don't look down. We're not praying. We've been in Hannah's predicament before. We've seen others who wouldn't dock the doors of the house of God or who come only on Sunday morning or either come just maybe two or three services a month and we see them riding in the fancy cars. We see them living in the nice houses and I'm not begrudging any of that, but here we are in a single wide trailer with a smoking Volkswagen and yet we love the Lord and we try to honor Him. Lord... I don't get it. Why? Why, can't, why do I struggle so much? Why can't I keep a good job? Why is it every time I get a momentum, little momentum built up, I have a flat tire? What's wrong with me? Why, have I, why do I battle this disease? Why do I battle this hurting every day of my life? Lord, I don't understand it. It don't seem fair. And by the way, can I tell you something? Nowhere in the Bible did God ever say that life is fair. And to beat all, if you'll look at verse 5 and verse number 6, the Lord is the one who'd shut her womb up. Now I've got to tell you something. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around that. Why in the world is God letting her go through this while he's blessing somebody like Penina? Now, am I the only one feeling this? Or you're looking at me like I'm not too spiritual. And I know I'm not but I'm looking back at you like you ain't no better than I am. We've all been in this situation before. Why, God? I don't get it. I love you. I love your house. I love your words, your people. I love your son. God, why does this happen in my life? By the way, can I stop and say this? Hannah in this text is in pretty good company. Because we find out through the Word of God there are some great ladies who struggled in the area of conception. Sarah struggled in the area of conception. Abraham even turned into Hagar and got us into a world of hurt today. But God eventually broke through, and guess what? Sarah had an Isaac. What about this? What about uh, Rachel? What about Rachel? And, boy, I tell you, this, for years she wrestled it. She saw Leah, her sister, and then Bilhah and Zilphah. Boy, they were having babies right and left. And for some reason, God had not allowed Hannah or allowed Rachel to conceive. But one day, God broke through and gave, gave Rachel a boy by the name of Joseph what a boy. I told you last week I preached about John the Baptist, the announcer of the Lord Jesus. And for years, his mama and daddy could not have a child. Old Zachariah and Elizabeth, they tried and tried. And they were well past the years of childbearing. But guess what? God broke through and gave that couple a John the Baptist. Can I say this? Hannah's in pretty good company. Now, I'm almost done. I'm going to wrap this up. Her country was in the mire. Her church was in a mess. Her childlessness was a mystery. But can I point one more thing out to you before we all get depressed to go out and commit suicide? Her criticizer was mean. I mean, we're told here in this text, if her situation is not already bad enough, I mean, watch this. Her husband has brought another woman into this family. I mean, you talk, it's bad enough when a husband goes out and cheats on his wife. She don't know nothing about it. That's bad enough. But to bring her in, bless God, move her in. Yeah, you better know who. You better know it was bad. In fact, let me tell you this. The reason most people think that he brought Peninnah in is because Hannah couldn't have children. So to add a little insult to injury, to rub a little salt in the wound, since she can't have babies, he's going to go out and find him a woman that can have babies. And he marries her and moves her right into that family dynamics. Can you imagine mealtime in the house of Elkanah? Can you imagine them two women? Can you imagine the tension in that house? It probably was thick you could cut it with a knife. I mean, man, there they are sitting there to eat, and Elk and I probably say something like this: Man, these green beans are good. Paninna said, I fix them. And then she'd look over at Hannah and Hannah'd go. <laughs> and then he said, Well, I tell you what, this cornbread is good. Hannah would say, I fix that. And Hannah would look over at her, stick her tongue out at her. Can you just imagine the tension, the rivalry that was going on, the competition that was going on inside of this home? Can I say this? Anytime there's trouble, there's multiple marriages, there's always going to be trouble in that family. Uh, Let me me say that one more time. You'll always find trouble in multiple marriages. Now, I know there's some people in here who has been married before, you're on a second marriage, and you're doing great. Can I tell you something? Bless your heart. Thank God for that. But I'll tell you something. There's always some kind of trouble lurking around. There's always like an elephant in the room. There's always like a skeleton hanging somewhere in the closet. In fact, I venture to say this. Anybody in here who's ever been divorced before would probably say, you know, I wish it would have never happened. I wish things would have worked out. Because seemingly, there's always a little trouble right underneath the surface when there are multiple marriages. And then when one lady can have children and the other lady can't, Boy, I tell you, that's not good. And this Peninnah, look at our text. I'm wrapping this up. This Peninnah here, the Bible said in verse number, verse number six, she became Hannah's adversary. She provoked her sore. I mean, she, you know what? Just the fact that she could have children ought to tenderized her heart a little bit. Maybe she should have had a little bit of compassion toward Hannah, who couldn't have children. But let me tell you what happened. Instead of that, it puffed her up and filled her with a little bit of pride. Let us never forget that the God that has been so good to us and given us these things, may we never get puffed up with pride and look down upon somebody who doesn't have maybe what we have. Boy, it ought to humble our hearts. We ought to find us an altar somewhere and get on that altar and say, God, I don't understand why you would be so good to me and maybe not as good to somebody else. When I've lived the kind of life that I've lived, God, it just humbles me. And I tell you what, I'm going to reach out and pray for that dear brother over there that maybe doesn't have as much as I have. But that wasn't Panna. No, sir. Peninnah was puffed up with pride, brother, and she was letting Hannah Have it. Look at verse six. Her adversary also provoked her. So can't you just imagine some of the things that Peninnah was saying to Hannah? She's probably saying something like this: "You're not a real woman. Uh, You're just, you're just a shell." I tell you, women can be mean, especially unsaved ones. Saved ones is bad enough. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) But I tell you what, bless your heart, you get some unsaved women. I'm telling you, they think up things to say that cuts deep. And I'll tell you what the Bible said there, she provoked her sore. That means she just wasn't provoking her. She was provoking her sore. And then if you look down at verse number 7, the Bible said it was especially the time of the year that they went up to the house of God, that she provoked her. She became an adversary to her, especially... When she went to the house of God. Why is it that all of us have got adversaries when it comes to going to the house of God? Can I tell you something, bless your heart, woe be unto the person who, who provokes others, who criticizes others because they go up to the house of God. Hey, brother, I'll tell you what, some of y'all, when you left home, maybe some of you precious women, your wife, your husband said to you, I can't believe you're going back to church at night with that virus floating around the way it was. Isn't it bad enough that you went this morning, and I mean it was on when you left, and when you get back home, it'll be on again. God have mercy upon people who criticize others, especially when it comes to the house of God. But I like what verse 7 says. In spite of the criticism, in spite of the mess her country was in, in spite of the mess that the church was in, verse 7 says this. She went up to the house of the Lord. Oh, brother, can I give you some good advice in these days that we're living in? You ought to continually go up to the house of the Lord. There, as I said this morning, there ought to be a routine, a manner, a custom in your life, brother, when you ought to go up to the house of the Lord. Let me tell you why. Because this time that she went to the house of God and she met the God of the house, this was the service that was going to change the rest of her life. Her life was never going to be the same. After that service, hey, you never know. This might be the service that God changes your life. This might be the service that God answers your prayers. This might be the service that God saves your loved one. This might be the service when God brings that wayward one back. Hey, you never know. You never know what a service may bring forth. This was going to be the service. That would change the rest of her life because, can I tell you something? Though the country was in in the mire and the church was in a mess and her childlessness was a mystery and her critics, her criticizers were mean, God was still on the throne. God still had all power in heaven and earth. God was still in control God was still about to do something for her and I just want to say this our country might be in a mess our church I hope our church ain't in a mess as bad as that one was But with the preacher we got, you never know what might be going on around here. But bless your heart, the church might be in a mess, the country might be in the mire, we might be faced with many mysteries, the criticizers may be on every corner, but it doesn't change the fact that our God can still answer prayer and do the impossible. That's why I want to keep going up to the house of God. So here's my message that I'm through now. You ready? Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, burdened. She went up to the house of the Lord broken. She went up to the house of the Lord barren. But she went up to the house of the Lord believing. And boy, I want to tell you something. God did something for her. Now, I got three questions that I'm done. Is there somebody in here tonight and you need to pray a child down? Is there somebody in here tonight and you need to pray a child back. Is there somebody in here tonight, and you need to pray a child in? Well, I just want to tell you, in spite of everything that's going on in this world, God is still on the throne. And God is still in the prayer-hearing, prayer-answering business. God can still do it. And all God's people said, Amen and Amen. Well, this is the beginning of Samuel's story. Let's bow our heads for prayer.